0: Welcome to New World of Work, a podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce. I'm Reese Black, Head of Workplace Design at Oyster, a global employment platform making it easier than ever to build a brilliant team on an international scale. On New World of Work, we'll hear from some of the world's best and brightest people and culture experts on cutting-edge topics that people operations professionals need to hear today, all through a global lens. Join us as we navigate this new world of work together and learn more about each other along the way. If you search for it, you'll find that great talent is everywhere, but the same can't be said for great opportunities. Companies continually revert to the tech hubs like San Francisco, London, and New York to find their next hire. Until recently, if you wanted to access the best jobs, you needed to be in close proximity to the best companies. But that's changing. Remote work has started to erase the geographical boundaries of the backyard talent pool. Skilled workers in developing countries are gaining access to opportunities that match their potential. Companies can now build global teams full of diverse perspectives that drive innovation. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Ariel Camos, the founder and CEO of Microverse, to learn how remote work is opening the borders to emerging talent hotbeds. Microverse is an online school that teaches people around the world how to program in multiple software languages with a unique focus on how to work remotely. Ariel offered his insights into the challenges some face finding opportunities in their country of birth and how companies can start looking beyond their own cities when hiring. He kicked off our discussion by sharing a bit about his background and what led to the founding of Microverse.
1: I was born in Argentina. I came to Europe when I was 12 years old as an immigrant with my family. It really shaped the rest of my life and my my career and what I'm doing today. But I I had the chance to go to college in Europe. And after that, I started my first company, my first startup. It was that startup that kind of forced me to move to San Francisco, California, to look for more capital. And that was another like transformational experience in my life. This was in 2012. We ended up selling that company to Lonely Planet, to the Travel Guides uh, brand in 2013. So a year later, after I got to, to Silicon Valley, and I worked for them for a few years while looking what to do next in my life, looking for like, you know, purpose And that's when I decided to start my career. Uh, That was in 2017. But unlike most people who want to move to San Francisco to start a company, I actually moved out of San Francisco. I moved to to Asia, mostly Vietnam and Indonesia, where I lived for a year. Basically, because my runway was almost infinite uh, by being there compared to San Francisco, where I was going to have a lot of pressure to go and fundraise very quickly. And I really wanted this to be the company that I wanted to run for the rest of my life and I wanted to make sure that I had the components right before raising capital and, and Asia gave me that possibility on top of being, you know, an amazing year um, personally speaking as well When I was trying to sell the company uh, the previous one I ended up going to, to Burundi in the east of Africa I spent One month teaching in the University of Computer Science there. And it was one of the more the most life-changing experiences of my life. Probably I learned much more than my students during that month. I was surrounded by people who were so different to me in so many ways, and so much the same, right? The same eagerness to learn and passion and curiosity and intelligence. But in other ways, like you know, they were like in the most extreme version of life. Compared to what I was coming from, like I was back then in San Francisco where you know, opportunities were so abundant and salaries so high, meaning all these amazing people who were completely disconnected from real good opportunities that I knew they were perfectly capable of doing. And I knew the opportunities existed because I was coming from the place of the opportunities, but they were disconnected from each other. My parents decided to emigrate out of Argentina because of this big financial crisis we had in Argentina in 2001. And when I look back, I know that I, w- I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't because of that decision my parents made and all the crazy sacrifices that they had to make to give me and my sister the opportunities that we had in life. And the fact that the place where you were born or the sacrifices that your parents made determined your opportunities in life in a world that is so full of opportunities, right? It just didn't make any sense to me. And we always go back to this quote. I don't think no one is claiming the being the author of the quote, but I'm not the one, but I use it often, which is that, that talent is evenly distributed in the world, but opportunities are not. And I that couldn't be more true when I was experiencing this back then. But it got me thinking even more about... Not just the companies that were missing all the talent, but also the fact that the world and our species and the rest of the species of this planet need all the talent. It is our responsibility as a more or as an evolved species, an intelligent species, to stop messing up with our planet. And these challenges are getting so massive the more that we evolve as society that they're gonna require global collaboration in order to fix them. And global collaboration is going to require an every talented human being, regardless of where they are born. And one night, I, I was having dinner with a few other entrepreneurs in the city, and the founder of Guild Lab showed up. This is like 2014, 2015. And even back then, this is way before the pandemic, right? They had everybody working remotely from a lot of different countries around the world and they were being super intentional about the way they built the company the way they um, like ran their their like their culture and their operating system to work as a company to collaborate with each other and it, it was really fascinating to see that they were not competing with all the local companies for desperately for the talent that they were able to attract m- much better people much faster, retain them much for much longer. People were happier, they had much more diversity, which was driving more innovation. And when that happened, that was, well, that was the aha moment. Like, this is it. Remote work is going to become the bridge between talent and opportunities. Remote work is not going to be an anomaly or Something that happens at small scale is going to become a very normal thing out of necessity, out of like pure common sense. The other thing that I learned from from Sid at GitLab is that the way you build, you manage a remote team or a remote company, a remote culture, or the way you work for a remote organization requires new skills. New skills that you could, you know, get away without them when you're all in the same office space or in a few hubs around the world in person, but you can't without, you get away without them um, in a remote setting. The way you communicate has to be much more asynchronous. It is much more like written communication. There is working across different time zones with people from different like, cultures. So, you know, multicultural collaboration, cooperation, it's, it's a challenge in itself. You need to be much better at documenting things and you have challenges around, you know, Uh, compliance and payments and uh, how you define compensation. We were going to have to come up with a learning model that was completely new so that it could really scale to every corner of the planet for people, regardless of where they are, to have access to a world-class education that allowed them to compete with peers who are born in more privileged places that at the same time not only teaches people how to code, but also how to work remotely and internationally. And that was the beginning of my career in 2017 um, like is when I decided to go all in. And, and that's just the beginning. It's been a roller coaster after that, but it's, gonna, it's, it's been really fun.
0: Ariel's experiences living and working around the world opened his eyes and provided the perspective that ultimately led to the founding of Microverse. Connecting the dots between remote work, diversity, and innovation, the online school has developed a unique approach to learning, collaboration, and funding.
1: We are a school without teachers, without lectures. Instead, the school replicates a real remote job environment. So instead of going to classes and having lectures, we give you projects. But you don't build the projects on your own. Instead, you build the projects as part of a remote, distributed team with people from all around the world. And this peer-to-peer model is based on like, 50 years of, of research, on collaborative, cooperative learning, but also 50 years of failed execution because education is really hard to scale. In fact, the more students we have, the easier it gets to support more students. But the other reason is that in a peer-to-peer environment, the quality of the experience is determined by the quality of the peers. And quality is not just how smart they are or how like, emotionally committed they are, but actually, do they show up every day? Do they participate? Do they, do they participate as equals? Because we have designed the entire experience where students can't make progress unless they do it collaboratively. Like we measure, for example, through an integration with the GitHub API if they're working collaboratively in their code, and if they're not, they have to repeat the projects. So students know that they depend on each other. We are the only school in the world that is offering an income share agreement in every single country in the world. This means that students don't have to pay upfront for their education, which in most of the countries where most of our students are based, like emerging developing countries for the most part, they account for like 85% of our same population. They only pay once they get a job, if they're making at least a certain amount of money. And particularly in our current program, they only pay if they're making at least $1,000 a month.
0: By learning in a way that resembles the remote work world, students are better able to transition into real positions, in some situations with more remote work experience than other team members of the companies that they're joining.
1: For those who complete the program, that 70%, more than 90% of them are employed in jobs within six months, in jobs of software engineers like working internationally remotely. The reason we had such good outcomes is that Our graduates are amazing remote workers. And that's why companies are willing to say, okay, this person is more on the junior side, on the technical side. But because they're so used to a remote environment, coaching them is not going to be or it's not going to present the risk that you're taking when you're hiring someone who is fresh out of college. They've, They've never worked in their life. And that's why a lot of companies are afraid of hiring junior people remotely because, hey, they need a lot of guidance at the beginning. Well, our graduates don't have that need because they have spent the first year at the school already learning how to do that, learning how to know when to ask questions, learning how to manage their own time and working environment and hold themselves accountable. To communicate great, like really well in a in an asynchronous way, they have a really high English level. And that de- risks the risks they hire a lot. When they apply to jobs, like that's what they sell, right? It's, I'm a very competent engineer, but I'm also a very seasoned uh, remote worker. And the interesting thing that happens after that is many companies who are transitioning to remotes very often are even steps, steps behind our own students, even if they have more senior people on the technical side of things. And th- there's this story of uh, one of our first graduates, of, uh, Kelvin, uh, Kevin, it's, it's a guy from, from Kenya, and he got a job at Microsoft. But I remember when the pandemic started, he, he said, hey, Ariel, I just wanted to tell you something really cool. Uh, as you know, you know I've been working at Microsoft and things have having gone really well. But because of the pandemic, we all have to work remotely, and I've been the one teaching my team how to move to remote in these first few weeks of, you know, confusion, and you know that made me feel really, really proud of of him.
0: Working remotely, whether in the same city as the physical office or from a co-working space on another continent, requires strong written communication skills. When teams are not in the same time zone, however, they'll need to be comfortable with what's called asynchronous communication. Ariel stressed that understanding cultural differences between team members and how a company works in relation to these differences plays a crucial role in remote work success.
1: Let's say with the pandemic, right, they were forced to go remote and once they realized that it wasn't that bad, that it had some benefits, they decided, well, if we are already working well with people in the U.S., let's say remotely, why don't we start hiring more people remotely, even if they're very far away outside of this city, outside of this state? The next stage is, well, since we are hiring people remotely in our country, it doesn't matter like if we also hire in Canada or in Mexico, right? As long as we can do this in a compliant way and as long as, you know, uh, they have a really good English level and they're punctual, you know, who cares? And I think that change to like being working remote or like hiring remotely, but internationally within the same time zone is what we have seen the most uh, so far. But the next step is also doing that across a very different time zone, right? So, someone from the US, a company in the US, hiring people in Africa, in Europe, in Asia. Culturally, for the company, that's a much bigger change. But even in this first step of going from hiring remotely within the country to hiring within the same time zone, you start adding another challenge, which is the multicultural you know, aspect of hiring people in a very different country, even if it's in the same time zone. So, for example, uh, if you look at Latin America, the way um, Latin Americans, like when we deal with time, right, it's a much like loose uh, way of, of, you know, we're much more flexible, right? Like meals take much longer and you might be more, you're more likely to be late to a meeting or for the meeting to take longer than, uh, you know, in the US or in Europe. And uh, in this way, we are in, in this aspect, we, we also always work with this book called The Culture Map. The author, Erin Mayer, she, she maps like eight different dimensions across which uh, multicultural collaboration can present challenges. So the way you provide uh, negative feedback, if you communicate in a more direct or, or like so in a more low context or high context way, how, you, how flexible you are with time, how you deal with hierarchy, and, and a few other things. And we, we work across all these dimensions so that students are, one, aware of where they are themselves in these different spectrums, right, where their peers are and how that might create not so complex challenges to work with each other, but being aware that it's not about being right or being wrong, it's not about this person wanting something different. It's just that we have different approaches to doing things. That awareness already helps them have a very effective conversation. And uh, ultimately, it also allows them to understand where they fall in the spectrum compared to the kind of companies that they're going to be joining.
0: Hiring talent abroad, but within the same time zone, is a logical first step for companies that want to diversify their teams. Some countries are going to be better known as tech hubs because of their size. But Ariel pointed out that if you're willing to hire in one country, then a nearby neighbor could also be a viable place to explore in your next talent search.
1: There are some hotspots in the world for like international hiring that are naturally there because of their size and a few other elements. So, for example, Nigeria—it's the energy level there—it's—it's it's amazing, and you know we have almost the same time zone as most places in Europe. So, like time zone wise, which, uh, as I mentioned before, it's one of the main element that I consider when a company is adopting a, an international remote model, being in the same time zone initially at the beginning at least makes it easier. So if you're in Europe, like something like Nigeria can be super powerful. But not just because it's it's a large country with a lot of energy. But I would say that if you're hiring internationally to that level, just looking for people in Nigeria and not being open to people from Uganda or Zambia or Kenya where they're also very important and strongly developing you know talent hubs like that would be a huge missed opportunity now if you're in the US for example again let's look at time zone first and if you're hiring obviously in Mexico right why wouldn't you start in Mexico you're seeing companies like Stripe who are opening hubs in Mexico but if you're hiring in Mexico why wouldn't you hire in mm-hmm. Colombia and Peru and Argentina as well, right?
0: It's understandable that companies might be hesitant to hire abroad given the challenges posed by time zones, compliance and tax implications, compensation and other unknowns. For companies that have the appetite to start hiring beyond their borders, Ariel has some advice to get the process started.
1: I think you need to start of small, and small is relative to your company size, so I wouldn't try to say, hey, let's start hiring for all positions, be open to having everybody being you know, remote from a different country. I would say, hey, for this specific position where there is uh, a manager a team lead that is excited about the possibility, maybe it's a team that is struggling a lot to find enough talent, so likely to be you know, the engineering team, let's start with one squad maybe built completely remotely and you know multinationally, or for this squad that is really going well or for a couple of, couple of squads, let's add a couple of international people to each team and again, it depends on the size of the company. but I would say start small so that one you realize it's not that hard Two, you force yourself as an organization to start you know learning what are the different things that you need to solve in terms of compliance and compensation and the culturally you know side of things. And then you're gonna have the data about what is the, the, the reward of taking those risks. So then you can bring that data to your management team and say, this is what we learned. This is everything we need to be doing and it's not that hard. And this is what we gained from this experiment.
0: And finally, Ariel answered our favorite question here on New World of Work. What's the best mistake you've ever made?
1: or well, probably starting this company, right? Uh, I mean, or starting any company, it's such a hard job. It's such, you know, it's the hardest job that you can choose for yourself. And, you know, startups are usually hard. Being a solo founder, as I am, you know, it's even harder. Doing this, starting global from day one, it's even harder. And then choosing to innovate in two different fronts, which is the educational model and how you finance education model, like it's even harder. But at the end of the day, you know, nothing that is truly fulfilling, nothing that gets you to grow will ever be easy. So we have to choose. We want easy, but then kind of boring and, you know, get to stagnation or you're willing to take risks and get out of your comfort zone. And my way of dealing with that, by the way, is making sure that I have my own definition of success And that the definition of success doesn't depend on any future outcome, right? While I talk about outcomes so much, my outcome is that every day I'm excited to do work, that every day I'm doing something that feels fulfilled. And I always say that, you know, our goal for 2030 is to get to 1 million students going through the school. But when one student gets a job and they put you in a call with their mom And their mom looks at you with a big smile on her face and she tells you, I am so proud of my son, but also so grateful to you. Like, it really doesn't matter. If you get to a million people, a hundred thousand, a hundred or just that person, you know the job you're doing is already worth it. And that means that nothing that can ever happen in the future will ever compromise how successful you feel. So that is how I deal with the balance of this being probably the hardest mistake that I'll ever make and the best decision at the same time.
0: Ariel's journey from the financial crisis in Argentina, to Europe, to Silicon Valley and beyond, exemplified the struggle many face when trying to find opportunities that match their talent. The perspective he shared has strengthened my belief that if remote work can bring more talent together, then we're all going to benefit from it. Here are a few of my key takeaways from this episode. First. The opportunities that were once limited to people living in Silicon Valley, Brooklyn, or East London are becoming more and more accessible to talent from around the world. Your physical location is less of a barrier today than it was two years ago, and companies are more open than ever to hiring remote talent. Second, in a world that places more emphasis on collaboration between team members from around the world, education needs to put more emphasis on written communication and cultural awareness. New remote workers entering the workforce will be expected to work independently with less oversight than their in-office counterparts. And finally, companies that are willing to tap the global talent pool, even on a small scale to start, will strengthen their teams through diversity and put themselves in a better position to solve the challenges ahead. The companies that continue to limit their search to their own backyard will be missing out on some of the best talent the world has to offer and will likely fall behind their competition. Thank you for listening to New World of Work, the podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce through an international lens. We hope this episode served to expand your horizons and open your mind to a new perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review the podcast so that we can reach more listeners. I'm your host, Reese Black. See you next time.